Hi, welcome back. We're here for our fourth, fifth episode of our podcast, Behind the Systems in America. I'm Nora. I'm Mackenzie. And I guess we can just get right into it. So this episode, I'm going to be talking about juvenile um, centers and juvenile, like, um, what are they called, correctional facilities, and um, just kind of how um, people of color are overrepresented in these facilities and um, how that has started to change, but also how it, like, starts in general. So, um, here are just some, like, background statistics. So, between 2003 and, uh, 2013, so these are, like, the most recent statistics I found, um, the black versus white, um, secure commitment in juvenile centers were 15% difference, and, um, that just kind of shows, like, the very large gap between, um, um, the children that were black versus the children that were white in these facilities, and, um, so in the past, like, 10 years, there's been, well, since 2003 to 2013, there's been a huge drop in, um, like, everybody, anybody going into, um, these centers, and, um, so the percentage of white um people white kids that went in was dropped by 51%, um black kids dropped by 43%. Um Hispanic uh students dropped by 52% and American Indian students dropped by 28%. So this was all um information and statistics I found from the Sentencing Project website and articles um from them. And so um, in 2017, the youth of color was 28% um, of the U.S. population, but 67% um, offenders. Um, and um, this is all still from the sentencing project. And so the black youth are five times as likely um, to be arrested and incarcerated as juveniles um, than white students and um native americans are three times as likely while latinos are two times as likely than white students um to be incarcerated as um a minor and then um this has kind of decreased um since between 2014 and 2017 according to the kentucky juvenile justice um Oversight Council, um, it's decreased by 20%. And then even in COVID where, um, like, people are, there's, like, a higher, like, crime, not higher crime rate, that's not it, they, um, they've been, a higher release rate, that's what it is, um, but it still has, um, led to a lot more white, um, juveniles being released than black or, um, Latino release is according to the NEC Casey Foundation. So, um, just kind of going off of that, um, black juveniles are 54% of the youth transferred from juvenile prisons to, like, um, mainstream or, like, adult prisons, and it kind of just, that shows, like, the just, 
large number of people that are just kind of continuing through the system and especially people of color and you don't really see that in the numbers of white people continuing through the systems um so one thing that i thought was really interesting um it's kind of like a little bit different than one i was just talking about is um the Department of Justice um, has said that there are about 17,000 youth prisoners that are held in isolation or like solitary confinement every year. And um, it's like one of the statistics of that is um, 70% of children in solitary have um, mental illness. And then as of 2016, um, Obama banned using solitary confinement um, or isolation as um, a form of punishment within juvenile centers. Um, I think it's also safe to say that uh, socialization or the lack of socialization can be very damaging to a growing brain because even now during COVID, a lot of people have said like children need to socialize. They need to communicate with other children or anywhere in general. So I'm sure that a lot of that isolation not only caused mental illness, but probably development issues. Mm -hmm. And going off of that kind of, a lot of, like, it says, like, 70% of these children already had mental illnesses. And so when you go into, like, um, solitary confinement is usually about 22 hours a day, like, locked in a room, like, by yourself with, like, no light. So if you already have a mental illness, like, that is very triggering and can be very harmful, even if you don't have a mental illness, like, it can still be very harmful and triggering to, like, the brain, and especially in, like, children, that can be very, like, damaging to their brains and how they grow and how they um, socialize. So I think that's really important um, to look at. And then, um... In 1988, um, the government um, started this um, act, the Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention Act of 1974. And so this is kind of a little bit different than the solitary thing, but it was to address the disproportionate lockups of minorities in juvenile centers. And I got this from a book, Juvenile Crime, Juvenile Justice. And this is like really interesting because is brought back up again in the 19 in 1991 where the lawmakers like really enforced this kind of act to make sure that um they started like not over representing people of color in these juvenile centers and to make sure that it was like an evenly distributed um and there weren't any like biases within these systems um, it hasn't worked as we kind of still see today, but the importance of the like act is still there, at least I feel. Um, you said that the act does something about making sure that no one gets overrepresentation like at all, right? Well, it was more of just to kind of like bring to light the overrepresentation and to start to work towards dismantling that. Okay, just wondering. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I kind of one so another thing that was brought up to me um when i interviewed um somebody was the school to prison pipeline 
which has been highly researched and highly studied and is very important in like our modern day like policing systems and so basically the school to prison pipeline is basically where schools like are very harsh with their punishments like expulsion suspension and um, also bringing in like policing on campus to police the students um, which results in a lot higher um, rates of people going into the juvenile courts and ultimately ending up in like juvenile prisons or um, correctional facilities um, so just some like little statistics, um, black students are three times more likely to be suspended or suspended or expelled than white students. And then, um, in Texas, it's been studied by the education department's office of civil rights, um, that Texas students suspended are more likely to get held back or drop out completely. Um, and then just like since 1970, suspension has doubled um, for white students and has been even higher for black and Hispanic students. And a lot of the like school to pipeline ideas come from the policing in schools and how police are were originally put there to protect the students, but they've abused their power and now use it to like overrule the students and like like aggressively control them, even though they're just students trying to go to school. Um, and then there's also the idea that the school's no tolerance policies have become very harsh and have um, resulted in a lot of um, arrests by these on-campus police um, forces and have become very, um, like, not aggressive, I guess aggressive is the right word, but, um, and confining to these students, um, which has caused a lot of, um, I have no idea what's the word I'm looking for, but that's okay. Um, there's also another tactic used by police called the broken window policing tactic is what I'm going to call it. And it's basically like where police start cracking down on like really small offenses to try to keep everybody safe. And schools kind of started doing that um, along with like their on-campus police forces um, and started like really cracking down on students with even like minor like um, just like talking back to a teacher or something like that. And it resulted in a lot more like suspensions that led to expulsions or like detentions or like harsh punishments to these students. Um, I feel like a lot of these uh, policies that you're talking about are really damaging only in the way that I'm not saying that like talking back to your um, teacher or like having those kind of situations are good, but also yeah. high schoolers are teenagers, they're moody, they're annoying, and even like middle schoolers. So I'm sure that adults and teachers sometimes have to understand that High schoolers sometimes will have situations where things might happen. Like they might talk back to their teacher for any situation or like you never know. You can't yeah. really punish someone or like you can punish them, but you can't make someone feel like a criminal because they're a teenager. Like it's just not the same thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we all have our slip ups. We all have our bad days. But to like suspend someone for like having a bad day and like slipping up with a teacher, I feel like is not like 
obviously there's a difference between a repeated behavior and like a casual slip up because yeah it's a little different if somebody's consistently doing this on purpose yeah and not like talking about your teacher is good obviously we don't don't, we don't condone talking back to your teacher but um it's just kind of like a thing to think about um so here's another just kind of statistic um 900 9 students were arrested in 2011 to 2012 based on the u.s department of education statistics and um so these were um most of these students when they were arrested they were turned um over to the juvenile system and kind of led through that whole process of going to court and possibly going into these correctional facilities and um that whole like idea of the on-campus policing um just kind of like shows like how aggressive these police were being and the abuse of their power when they were arresting 900 students <laughs> we okay. got it numbers are a quick thing it's probably i don't know if you're gonna bring it up or i don't know it has nothing wait it has something to do with what you're talking about but it's kind of just like a part of what you're talking about uh, my mom and i often talk about like the criminalization of young black girls in the school system and I think that's a very important topic about how young black girls are often over-criminalized, whether it's stereotypes or suspensions or any situations like that. Like, it happens really, really often. And you're talking about the school-to-person pipeline. So if you're made a criminal before you're even, you know, a teenager, imagine what, you know, that life is setting up for you. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't done as much research on, like, that aspect of it, but I definitely can, like, understand, like, where that would definitely play a role in, um, the school to prison pipeline and that yeah, whole and situation. These girls' futures. Like now, you're calling me a criminal, and I'm barely, you know, I barely know anything about prison. And now, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, when you put a label on someone, sometimes that, like, if you're constantly told you're one thing, something, sometimes you might start to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that just kind of shows like the effect on young people of like their own, like surroundings. Like if you're as a child growing up thinking you're a criminal like you're gonna start to believe it and that's like a terrible thing to believe because you're not unless you know you like rob a bank or something <laughs> unless you are yeah um so um with the cops at the schools kind of just talking about that because i kind of want to like hear your opinion on that whole like situation like policing in schools like i always have felt that police in schools are like the police at the schools are not where the police should be yeah i think that you shouldn't be putting things like guns or any of those like very serious like police are like they're very it's a very serious thing these are people made to protect people made to i'm not saying that they do but you know Mm -hmm. i think that putting policing in schools just because it's like why are we doing that like these are schools these are where i'm coming to learn this is where i'm coming to develop to learn about myself to you know learn what i want to do in the future i just Mm -hmm. think putting policing in schools is just making a dangerous environment out of something that doesn't need to be a dangerous environment i understand security guards like our school we have security guards because that's just normal most institutions or places have normal security guards that's mm-hmm. basic safety for things like schools but to have like actual police officers or like i've seen i watch this show called the fosters and i'm pretty sure they have a good example of like 
what some high schools look like and uh one of the things that they had were like metal detectors and mm-hmm. like they had to get like searched every time they entered the school which is like which is just like why are there metal detectors in my school why you know we shouldn't have to be patted down like this is not a thing that should be happening this is a school this is where people come to learn i understand that some situations people really need to take safety precautions but i think that the way to be safe is not scaring people that's not you know the pathway of being safe yeah and schools with their no tolerance policy are always like we don't want guns in the school but then as soon as you bring police into the school you're now bringing in guns and tasers and whatever else they carry with them um to the school it's kind of like they don't want they don't want students to be dangerous they don't want the students to cause harm on other students but it's okay when other people cause harm on the students when adults do yes or yeah adults adults (laughs) yeah and i think that's really like kind of just shows this like almost power struggle between students and adults and trying to like hear themselves in these like situations of like understanding that they're not criminals and understanding that they're just children and then as soon as you like put metal detectors in the entrance and you have police like strolling the hallway or the grounds or whatever like you almost become like a prison and it's like yeah they're in the students as prisoners and i was gonna say something about oh wow i was gonna say something about turning out students into prisoners um oh the idea of the no tolerance policy we've been talking a little bit about it i think it also creates an environment where people or students can sometimes feel trapped because like for example it might be like oh no tolerance for bullying like you can't no matter what or not bullying or like uh violence like no matter what like you can never hit somebody but what if it comes to like defending your, yourself like what if it's like i didn't really have a choice like this guy was gonna beat me up all i did was protect myself like and if you're trying to make it seem like the real world where it's like no matter what like you can't do these kind of things self-defense is a thing like that's a yeah. you can't act like self-defense doesn't exist people who like they shouldn't teach kids that like no matter what you're gonna get in trouble for this but instead they should teach kids like obviously fighting isn't good but defend yourself when you need to because mm-hmm. i don't you know you don't want to set kids up in a world where they're now vulnerable to being attacked because they were always taught like never to hit anyone like yeah. if you feel like you're in danger then you need to you know defend yourself yeah exactly and that's a really good point um i really liked the way that you said that and the idea of like the no tolerance to like violence or no tolerance to like bullying or guns or anything and i think that's really important to talk about especially with like students and like young children um so i just wanted to talk about like this go back to the idea of like criminalizing um people of color especially from like really young ages so i read this just this statistic um where 48 percent of preschool students um that are suspended more than once are black and i when i read this mackenzie knows i kind of flipped out a little bit because i was like these are like three and four year olds and you're suspending them for like what hitting somebody three-year-olds hit people mm-hmm. it's what they do they're three years old <laughs> i think when you said this at first i brought up the argument where i was like you know if somebody has behavior issues like you need to do something about it like children are like you know they can't not be they're 
everyone can have behavioral issues. And then you kind of brought up the point where it's like, how can you tell the difference between behavioral issues and just being 30 years old? Because it's obviously made me, you know, I changed my mind about my opinion because I was like, you know, these are three-year-olds. Like, it's hard to really be able to tell if a three-year-old is having behavioral issues because you're three. You know, you're going to have temper tantrums, you're going to cry, whatever. That's normal. I think the only time where you feel like you're this three-year-old is like there's something that's really causing them to anger issues or whatever that's not something you punish them for that's something that you get them help for yeah exactly it would be different if they were like maybe like 13 or like 10 or whatever like older than like maybe 11 where you can like actually tell that it's like anger issues and it's not just childish behavior Mm -hmm. but like when you're three years old and you throw a temper tantrum people can't just be like oh they have a behavioral issue like that's just a three-year-old being a three-year-old and to suspend so many students and especially more than once like that just shows like there's so many like deeply rooted racist ideals because 48 percent of preschool students yeah that are suspended more than once are black and it's just like that's insane like three-year-olds there's no way that you have the idea that this little child has some sort like what they're, why are you suspending a tiny little person like, like they don't it? even know what that means like they right, they don't know what it means they probably think they're on vacation like, yeah <laughs> they just they're going to school to like take a nap eat candy play with their friends and like go home yeah that's like, yeah learn like shapes like, like learn is... shapes maybe the abcs like we don't know so like to <laughs> think that like they're suspending these like three-year-olds is just absolutely insane yeah. Okay, moving on. This is kind of related. So I read another statistic um, from the Columbia University study um, that five-year-old boys whose fathers are incarcerated are less behaviorally ready than children whose fathers are not incarcerated. And I kind of wanted to bring this up because it reminded me of like this little loop, this cycle that so many um children especially children of color get stuck in because their family members go to prison and so they are like either lacking in economically or lacking in just direction in their lives and so they turn or they get they either turn to like crime or they get turned into a criminal because of the outside forces like policing in schools or the like no tolerance in their schools and i thought that was so incredibly like it was such a detailed study like very specific and i like five-year-old boys like very specifically and i was like wow that's so interesting to like hear especially with like just everything else that we just talked Mm -hmm. about of like yeah i think that's important and you talk about loops which is something we'll talk about in future episodes of the idea of cycles especially in these systems where it's like okay we lock up your family members because we're racist and then we cause you to go without these father figures and then they can develop emotional issues where i talk about um in our next episode a little bit how having the emotional issues or some sort of traumatic issues can have children lead to uh basically a poor setup like for example um let's say a kid without a father a kid of color without a father um let's say he experiences let's say he depression you know let's say he experiences depression and then he goes on meds and a lot of um, medications that are used to support mental illnesses can be addictive and so now you're setting this kid up for addiction. i'm not saying you know every kid is gonna have an addiction but 
that's a pathway that you might go on. So now you're setting this kid up for addiction and addiction, since it's not treated like the mental illness that it is, is going to leave this kid in prison. And now we're just starting a loop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that you brought in the mental health side of the addiction and the loop that people get stuck in a lot. And it leads to 70% of the juveniles having mental health issues and struggling with that through um, their imprisonment. And I think that's really, really important. I don't understand why these um, children with mental health issues are being like incarcerated. Like yeah. uh, for adults, you um, let's say you're in court and your your defense could always be um, you can the psych you could basically say that this person is mentally unstable. Therefore, whatever they did or didn't do is because of their mental issues. And though you don't even have to have a mental issue to be considered like mentally unstable to understand what you're doing at the time Mm -hmm. like it could just be like oh i'm i don't know i was really really sad yesterday so now i did this because i couldn't control my sadness like that is a defense that people can use when it's like how is being a child not a defense enough yeah well obviously not every child is normal some children probably are you know criminals but the idea of that those 70 percent with Mm -hmm. mental issues they need to be treated as if they have mental issues, not as if they're criminals. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, um, locking people up only worsens those issues. Mm-hmm. So instead of sending them to rehab or, like, a mental, like, somewhere to get help, they're sending them to be criminals, and that doesn't help at all. Yeah, I mean, if you weren't a criminal then, you definitely are one now. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've covered so much, and I think this has been a really good episode. Yeah. We had a good discussion, though. So we had a good talk a lot. I feel like a lot of the other episodes, it was just like one person talking. Yeah, this is good. Mm -hmm. We're getting more comfortable. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. See you you soon. Bye. Bye.